0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there and welcome back, my friends. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 231 Of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice weekly show about intentional and eco minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing the logistics of online returns. Now, we've all been there, right? We've purchased something online, we had the highest of hopes. The delivery man put it on our doorstep, we rushed out, we got the item, we tried it on and oh no, there's a problem. Perhaps it doesn't fit, perhaps it didn't look as great on you as it did on the model, online, in the picture, and so we then must return the item. So on today's show we're discussing, in advance of the holidays, where returns really skyrocket, we're discussing what actually happens to those returns. Now, I must start this conversation by taking us all on a trip down memory lane. When I was a kid and when I was a teenager, and even when I was a young adult, really, the way I bought clothes was by heading to the store, probably to the mall, and trying on items in the sometimes dingy fitting room, right? The dressing room try-on was a crucial step in the process of buying clothes, But these days, the way that we buy clothing and shoes is much different. We tend to buy a lot more online. And that's because at least in my life, it is so much more convenient to buy online than get in my car and drive to the store. I hate going to the store. I would much rather buy online. It's also much more convenient to buy a bunch of items in different sizes. So the same item in a variety of sizes. So you're insured to get the correct size at your doorstep and then just send back the ones that don't fit, right? That's called bracketing, by the way. And we're going to talk about bracketing later. It often is encouraged by brands to keep you happy, but it's an incredibly environmentally detrimental practice. So a little stat here in the past year. One-third to one-half of all clothing bought in the United States was bought online. I believe, though, and I'm saying this as somebody who loves online shopping, I do believe as somebody who loves online shopping that a big part of being an intentional consumer comes with having the ability to touch, to feel, and to try on items before paying, e-commerce really takes all those options away from us as consumers. And so not surprisingly, when we can't touch the fabric, when we can't try on the items, and when we instead just cross our fingers and hope that what we see on the model online will indeed look as glamorous on us as it does on that beautiful, tall, skinny model, we're going to send a lot of stuff back. Another fact here, the average brick and mortar store has a return rate in the single digit. So if you go to a store, you try something on, you bring it home, those stores have a return rate in the single digits. But online, the return rate is between 15% on the low end and upwards of 40% on the high end. Putting money to those percentages, so putting like dollar-dollar bills, y'all, on top of those percentages. Last year in the U.S. alone, U.S. retailers took back more than $100 billion worth of merchandise that was sold online. Now, in a perfect world, the items we return will be restocked and resold to the perfect buyer who's going to love on them until the end of time, right? But unfortunately, this idyllic picture of returns is not at all accurate, the stuff that you returned, here we go, shock alert, the stuff you return likely is not restocked, and it's likely not rebought by the perfect owner. So part one today is a history of returns. We're going to stay down memory lane for a quick minute, and we're going to have a little quiz. I was used to be a teacher. I love quizzes. So here's the quiz. Here's the question. If you had to choose one online retailer that made its name for itself by offering an amazing return policy, which retailer would it be? So pretend you're on Jeopardy. I'll read the question again. If you had to choose one online retailer that made a name for itself by offering an amazing return policy to consumers, which retailer would it be? All right, I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to give you two hints. My first hint is think mid-2000s. My second hint is, think shoes. So mid-2000s, shoes, which retailer really just killed it with their return policy and shot to the top of the shoe game? It is, of course, Zappos. Zappos made its name by marketing its fast, free shipping, and free, no-questions-asked return policy. Quick and easy returns wasn't new, but what was new was that Zappos made its name on this policy, and it created a standard in which consumers now expect, not just from Zappos, but from many other online retailers as well, we expect fast free shipping and no questions asked returns. I would even go so far as to say that Zappos shapes how consumers believe online shopping should work. Okay. So we're moving on to part two of today's conversation, which is retail logistics. We don't really tend to think about the logistics associated with retail, but we are today. So fun fact time, not or I should say not so fun fact time, each year in the United States alone, so just the United States, consumers return approximately 3.5 billion products. So not just clothes, products in general. But only 20% of those products are actually defective. So when we talk about retail logistics, there are two parts we have to discuss. One aspect to retail logistics is forward logistics. Forward logistics is moving goods from the manufacturer to the consumer. And forward logistics tend to be very straightforward. But the second aspect to retail logistics is what we're really centering today's conversation around, and that is reverse logistics, or the process of getting unwanted items from consumers back to manufacturers. It's probably a surprise to no one that while forward logistics is straightforward, reverse logistics is complicated, time intensive, labor intensive, expensive messy, you give the adjective, and it's probably accurate for reverse logistics. Reverse logistics involves labor in the form of workers at sorting facilities, opening boxes, and making sure that what's in the box is actually on the packing list. It involves labor in the form of workers determining whether it's been used, whether the tags are on, whether it works, whether it's clean whether any piece of the product is salvageable. And I should say here too that back before e-commerce, reverse logistics was so much easier, right? If I needed to return a pair of pants, I would get in my car, drive to the store, conduct the return, and then the salesperson would essentially do all this labor themselves. They'd inspect the pants. Are they clean? Are the tags on? Yes, yes, okay, back on the rack, easy peasy, at least some of the time. But these days, thanks to e-commerce, getting an item back into a company's new product sales stream, which is often in a whole different state than the sorting facility, right, is expensive, of course, money rules. But a lot of companies just don't even have the technology to handle the sheer number of returns. And so it's often more profitable and it's often easier for them to either discard them by sending certain items to landfills or shipping them abroad. We're going to talk about what actually happens to our returns in a moment. Now, if you're wondering whether there's a different end result for different types of clothes, I would say that we can talk about fast fashion here. Fast fashion is the cheaply made, cheaply priced clothing items on the market. Those items tend to be trashed more frequently than the higher quality items. And that just comes down to price, right? If a dress was $25 and it gets returned, the labor that it costs to sort, the cost it takes for the freight to move it around, it just, the numbers don't work out. $25 is too cheap to put that item back into the new product sales stream. And we're back. We are discussing our online returns, and we're into part three of this conversation, which is dun dun dun. What actually happens to the clothing items that we return? Well, surprise to no one. A lot of items, perfectly good items, are simply discarded. I should say right off the bat, I searched, I scoured for specific percentages, but the numbers are murky about 25% of all returns are discarded. So not just clothes, that includes electronics, appliances, et cetera. About 25% of everything we sent back just gets sent to the landfill. With regard to clothes in particular, a lot of manufacturers, for sanitary reasons, will destroy certain items right off the bat, like underwear and bathing suits. Even if the tags are on, even if the liner is still on the underwear or bathing suit, Those items, when you return them, are discarded. Now, I should say here that according to HuffPost, an undercover investigation in one Amazon warehouse in France found that the staff threw away over 300,000 items in just three months in 2018. (laughs) That's insane. They threw away 300,000 items in three months. Based on this undercover investigation in one warehouse in France, in one country, experts believe that in France alone, they believe Amazon throws away 3.2 million manufactured objects per year. Okay, so that's one thing that could happen to our returns, the landfill. But that's just 25%-ish of the cases. So what else could happen to our returns? Well, Our returns may be shipped back to the brands that manufacture them. So let's take Target, for example. Every mom loves Target, right? Or so they say. When Target receives a return, because they carry a bunch of different brands, they may return that excess product to the brand that manufactured them and receive a partial refund from the brand. So it's cost advantageous to, let's say, Target to do that. So what does this look like in real life? That might mean that a box of, I don't know, seven jeans, seven jeans goes back to seven. (laughs) Wait, do, do seven jeans even exist anymore? I don't even know. But that's the example that came to mind. So I'm going with it. So the seven jeans go back to the seven wholesaler, taking it back, and then they get to decide what they are doing with those returned jeans. The third thing that may happen to your clothing return is that it may be sent abroad. Unwanted clothing is often sold off by the thousands of pounds in shipping containers and then sent overseas in the hope that it can be wholesaled as fresh merchandise. Now, as I was researching for this episode, I thought to myself, well, wait, why aren't these perfectly good, tag-still-on, never-worn clothing items, why aren't they donated? Aren't there plenty of people in the world who would happily accept merchandise that is essentially brand new? Aren't there people in the world that need these items? Well, I was very upset to find out that such items are very rarely donated, even though it would be good PR for retailers, even though it could be a tax write-off for brands, Even though it would be perhaps the right thing to do, donating would certainly be better than just trashing, right? There's something called brand dilution, and that is the assumption that if paying customers realize that people are getting the same shirt they just spent $50 for for free, they're going to view the brand as less valuable. So that shirt then isn't a fancy schmancy status exuding item. Instead, it's cheap and not so valuable and certainly not worth $50. So part four of today's conversation is what can we do? What can we do? And I want to start off part four by saying that when you ask Americans under the age of 40 about returns, they say they would happily pay more and give their money to businesses that aren't wasteful. However, Those same shoppers then go on the internet and do a far bigger portion of all their buying online. Americans under 40 are also more likely to place those big orders, do that bracketing purchase with the assumption, with the intent of just sending the ones they don't like back. So I have five action steps for you, and I should say none of these are revolutionary. I don't want you to think that I am recreating the wheel here. I'm more offering up some gentle reminders. Number one, of course, is to not bracket buy. So don't buy multiple pants in different sizes just because they offer free, fast, easy returns. Don't bracket buy. Okay, don't do it. (laughs) Action step number two is to shop online only at retailers that you've shopped at brick and mortar before. When you shop brick and mortar or when you patronize the same business over and over again when it comes to clothes, you tend to know how the clothes fit you. You tend to know your size. You tend to appreciate the style. And so those stores, you can reasonably assume the clothes that you purchase online will likely fit you. You know your size. You know the fit. You know you love the store, right? However, when you shop at a store you've never shopped at before, the chances of something not fitting or not being your style or not being the quality you like drastically increase. So I am I have an example here. A couple weeks ago, I purchased a pair of shoes from Allbirds. If you don't know what Allbirds is, Allbirds is an eco-conscious sneaker company, okay? I needed new sneakers. I was excited to support Allbirds. I asked my friends who had Allbirds, you know, do their sizes run big? Do they run small? I tried on a pair of Allbirds that were my friends. Like, I think I did everything right before purchasing these shoes from a retailer I've never shopped at before. I even checked their sizing chart, for goodness sake. I really tried to be an informed and conscious consumer in this online purchase. Well, wouldn't you know it, when my sneakers arrived at my doorstep, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was so excited to try on my new sneakers. And wouldn't you know, they didn't fit. So I was placed in the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad position of either deciding to keep sneakers that were slightly too small and didn't feel good or return them. And I did return them and I don't feel good about it. But I'm saying all this to say that when you shop online with brands that you don't know how the item is going to fit, the chances that you have to return the item drastically increase. I should say here too, this is like an s- extra tip that just came to me, is that if you're shopping online for clothing items, make sure you check the materials section. <laughs> There's always like a details section. Click on that tab and see exactly what the item that you're eyeing is made from. This is uh, so, so important, right? Because how many times do you order something online and then the quality isn't there? The qual- it just doesn't feel right. It, it just feels cheap or fast fashiony. When you check what the item's made of, you can save yourself that hassle and that save yourself that return. Okay, so tips three, four, and five are for gifting. I mean, it's the holidays. We're all giving gifts. So tip number three is when gifting to others, try not to give clothes. How many of us have given somebody a sweater for the holidays or a really amazing graphic tee that you just think is hilarious, and then every time you see the person, they're not wearing the item that you purchased, (laughs) right? Clothing is a very personal choice, and so when you buy clothes for other people, I believe that the chances that that item is going to be returned is higher. Even with my husband, okay? My husband, I know his style. I know his size. I know it all. But I tend to not buy him clothes because he's very picky. I only buy him clothes unless he has explicitly conveyed to me the exact item. Like, I need a skew, SKU, I need a SKU. I need the exact size. I need the exact style. I need the exact cut. I need all the information before I'm going to buy him a clothing item. He's picky, and for me to assume that I can choose an item for him, that is a faulty assumption on my part. Tip number four is when gifting clothes to kids, definitely ask the parents first what's needed. My oldest daughter, Ani, she's seven now. When she was younger, she wore whatever I put on her but now she's 7 and now she has opinions and now she actually cares about what she's wearing to school so if you give my daughter ani a scratchy sweater for christmas she's probably never going to wear it and i'm going to feel the pull to return it <laughs> my younger daughter lada she's 4 she has significant sensory issues she is very sensitive to the feel and to the cut of clothing and shoes so if you wanted to buy lada a gift for the holidays there would be a 95 to 99% chance that she won't wear it. So when you're giving clothes to kids, instead of like looking at the cute item that you think, oh my gosh, it's super cute, ask the parents first. Even if the child in question doesn't have sensory issues and even if the child in question doesn't have opinions, perhaps the mom just is overwhelmed with all the child clothing, which often happens. Perhaps the child doesn't need clothes. And my final tip to you, is to help people out in your life who are going to give you gifts. So it is the holiday season and I am willing to bet that there are lots of people in your life that want to give you gifts. Go on with your bad self and be very, very specific about what you want. Write out a list, pass out the list, be very specific because when you get what you want, chances are good that you're going to actually love on it. I think that in our culture, we have trouble asking for what we want, we're very demure about it. I say, let's be bold and let's actually ask for what we want. Maybe you make a wish list online and send it out. But if people ask you, what do you want for Christmas or what do you want for the holidays? Be honest and be bold. So those are my tips for you. I really hope this episode made you think about online returns a different way. My research certainly made me think about returns a different way. And yes, I do feel extra bad now about that all birds return. A couple quick housekeeping action items. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, go on, leave the show a quick review. Thank you so much for supporting the show in that way. If you listen to Thursday's episode, all about making ethical coffee purchases. Please know that the giveaway for the free coffee is going on now. I will link to it in this week's show notes if you're interested. It's a really good giveaway. It's two months of coffee for you and two months of coffee to gift to a coffee lover in your life. Giveaway ends Saturday. It's going really well. I hope you join us. I will see you on Tuesday for our regularly scheduled interview. Have an amazing weekend and take care.